Hey everybody and welcome back to Let's Dive In, your marine conservation podcast. I'm your host Dakota Mark and I would like to start off by acknowledging the traditional owners of the land in which I'm podcasting on, the Bunurong people of the Kulin Nations, and extend this respect to any elders past, present and emerging. On today's episode, we're joined with a very special guest in Fanny DeBasseroles. Fanny joins us from Conservation Volunteers Australia as the head of experience. And we dive into her past research into deep sea animals and their unique ability to see in such harsh conditions. We also talk about World Ocean Day Down Under, the collaboration between World Ocean Day and Conservation Volunteers Australia and the unique opportunities they bring to the Volunteers Australia to see the change and make a positive ocean impact. So without further ado, Let's dive in. What is your own connections to the ocean and how has it shaped the life that you have now? Yeah, it's actually a very good question because um, I'm originally from France and when I live in France is nothing close to the ocean. So I always been interesting and fascinated by animals in general and biology and the life, nature and the life surrounding us. And um, going into my studies in biology and I was realized like, this is not quite what I want to study. And I wanted to really focus on an environment that I love. I didn't see very often, just when I went on holidays and spending time on the ocean is really something that brought so much joy to me. And I thought, like, this is really the environment I want to dive in a little bit deeper and I want to study. So I went on a lot of um, traveling during my studies and moved closer to the ocean to, to study the ocean. And that brought me on a big traveling and experience um, on the coast of France and then to England and to Australia and to Saudi Arabia and lots of different um, different places. But yeah, for me, the ocean is just it's such a, a particular and amazing environment. It just brings you calm, serenity and the world under there when you start, you know, learning and diving deeper in what's happening down there is just amazing. And for people that are lucky to be diving or even snorkeling and you can get your first glimpse of you know the underwater underwater world um yeah i think everybody would agree that it's just a fascinating and amazing um world so yeah that's what kept me going and i wanted to more about the ocean everybody says the exact same thing or something or rather like just going underneath the ocean seeing like that world and like the calm and peace that it brings you like everybody has such a like positive experience about that it's amazing to hear you talked a little bit there about your studies that you've done can you talk us through the studies and what your focus was in um transitioning into that kind of like marine biology world as um as a student and you know early very early like nearly as a kid you know when you're just out of school um you don't really know what you want to do and so i went into general biology and you know had a bit of a grasp of everything that is out there and i found everything interesting so it was really hard for me <laughs> to focus and choose you know a specialty or a topic and and then during my um, studies, I, I did an exchange uh, in England and I discovered deep sea biology. 
and the deep sea world completely fascinated me and i i thought like that was the you know the moment where i was like the light bulb said, this is my life this is what i want to do um this is so amazing the unknown not knowing what's living on a planet um at the bottom of the oceans was just something that just fascinated me like i wanted to know what was happening there um what was living there how they were living um so yeah that just really took me on on my path to study um the deep sea so from there i went um, back to france to finish my master and um study with um a deep sea research center in france and then it was time for me to move to continue on a PhD. And I ended up in Australia um, and studying the vision of a family of deep sea fish. So that really like wow. was a big shift um, in, you know, staying in the deep sea. But we were focused on sensory ecology, which um, is a way, studying the way animals sense and interact with the environment. And I thought this research was really interesting because when you do ecology or biology in general, you you see everything through your own eyes. And we are, as humans, we are really human-centric. Like, we just think that everything around us is living the way we do, is perceiving life the way we do, um, because, you know, we, are, we think we are on top of everything. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it was very nice in this field to just you know take a step back and say okay i'm not a human i'm a fish you know what do i see as a fish how yeah. how do i sense my environment what is important for me like i have to find food i have to find shelter i have to find a mate um but you know to to put yourself inside the fish and try to understand uh, how they perceive their environment i found that um yeah really fascinating and it it brings you closer to to the animal and in some ways especially for the deep sea environment which is an environment that is really hard to to study because we can't access it very easily yeah. not you know we can't keep fish in <clears throat> deep sea fish in aquarium to study them so we have to find other ways to understand how they live and one way is to st study their senses and vision is a very important sense um in a lot of fish yeah. It can seem a little bit counterintuitive because a lot of people have been asking me, but why do you study vision in deep sea fish? It's completely dark. Yeah, There's yeah, nothing yeah. to see. Yeah. You know, and then do they have eyes? Do you know, do they use their eyes? Um, so I got this question um a lot. And and the answer is uh, yes, there is a lot to see in the deep sea. Uh, and just our eyes are not sensitive enough to to see it properly. Um, so again, you know, from a human perspective, there is not much to see, but for the animals down there, there is space, so what we call bioluminescence. So this is a, a light that animals produce and emit themselves. Yeah. And down there, it's just full of signals, bioluminescence signals, left, right, and center um, about, you know, signals to attract a prey, signals to find a mate, signals to um, distract a predator, um, uh, even signals to camouflage yourself. Because in a deep sea, there's still a little bit of light um, yeah. from um, the surface, from the sun that penetrates the ocean. And the, this light would reach about a thousand meters in a clear um, ocean. So in the first 
kilometer of water, um, you still have residual daylight that can cast some shadows. Some animals have been very clever in like counter shading their, their shadow by producing light on their belly. So, wow. you know, animals underneath them would not be able to see them. So it's honestly like the deep sea, I think for me, is still one of the most fascinating environment just because of the adaptations yeah. that the animals down there had to come up with to, you know, live in this extreme environment. Yeah. Everywhere you look, it's something different. Um, it's not the same solution for all. And yeah. that's, yeah, that was an amazing journey to discover. Yeah, the way that you talk about it, it's like so. there's still so much passion in the way that you talk about it, which is so awesome. And if anybody hasn't seen or, like, looked up online what deep sea um, fish or any animals look like, you definitely should have a look at them. Like, some of the bioluminescent features that they have is absolutely insane. And, like, they're honestly, like, otherworldly creatures a lot of them look kind of like aliens but they're insane and they're and it's so fascinating to hear that like obviously there's so much like research that would need to go into them because it's just such a like yeah people just don't understand it a, a lot about it and also like just how vast our oceans are our oceans are absolutely huge and there's still like something like 80 percent of it is unexplored we don't know what's what's in so much of the ocean so to be able to explore the deep sea is, yeah, incredible. Can you talk us through, like, just, I'm I'm curious myself, just, like, how did you get to actually study the animals in the deep sea? Like, did you have to, like, use, like, submarines and stuff like that or was it? No, like, uh, I wish I had been <laughs> a submarine, but, you know, but still, you know, on my bucket list and that's something I would absolutely um, yeah, love to experience. Yeah. Um, and just because I would love to see... Uh, the magic of the bioluminescence myself yeah. with my own eyes. Yeah. Um, so that's something I would love to do. But um, no, to to study the deep sea fish, um, I've been on a lot of uh, research cruises. So you go at sea for a few weeks at a time and um, we fish them. So we troll right. them. We have nets um, goes in the water. Uh, so when we're talking about trolling and nets, it's just really like in a very sustainable way. So we are trolling um, and netting a very small amount. So nothing like commercial yeah. commercial fishing. And it's really more like a tiny samples of what's in the ocean at a particular time. And often also at a particular depth because um, we can use um, gears that open and close at a certain depth when we want and we can fish for a couple of hours and then close the net and bring it back to the surface. So that gives us a really good picture of, you know, what type of um, animals live at a particular depth at a particular time. Um, so that's, yeah, how um, we've been studying them. So bring them back at the surface. And unfortunately, um, we've the way we fish and the change of pressure and um, everything, most of the animals come back um, already dead or, yeah. or dying. So that's why it makes it very hard because we don't, we can't do any um, experiment or like behavior experiment with them. Um, and then it's just a, a lot of work um, with anatomy and uh, neuroscience. So in terms of vision, uh, we look at the eye, so we are going to open the eye and then look at all um, the physical characteristics of the eye. And then we go from like the general morphology to really deep inside into the neurons and the type of neurons they have, the numbers, how they're distributed. 
And when we can, all of that, we can relate to their ecology and it tells us how, um, you know, how acute their vision is, how sensitive their vision is, uh, which part of the visual field um, they are specialized to see. So there's a lot we can learn. And the reason why is because it's, it's very similar to, to human eye. Um, yeah. We are both vertebrates and um, the eye in vertebrates is very conserved. Um, so one of the main differences is like the lens is Bit different, uh, bit different in a human eye and a fish eye, just because fish have to accommodate vision in water and we have to accommodate our vision in air. But yeah. otherwise, we have the same type of cells, we have the same type of structure. So it's um, we can learn a lot by um, studying an eye, actually. Yeah. Wow. So we've been doing just catching animals um, directly at sea for several weeks. It's often like Christmas. You never know what you're going to catch. Um, yeah. which is very exciting when, yeah. you know, when you bring the net, you know, everybody's like around the bucket and it's like, what's <laughs> going to be inside? Sometimes, yeah. you know, we, we have species that we've never seen before and it's just really, really exciting, um, exciting moment. Yeah, and after that, um, it's a lot of study uh, in the lab. Yeah, yeah. Back, wow, um, amazing. Under a microscope. Wow, that is so, yeah, that is so cool. I'm like, well, that's, yeah, that's so fascinating. Because you've been in the field and like researching the deep sea and um, fish for such a long time, is there any like environmental changes that you've witnessed over time? Or like anything that you, like, just because you're obviously such a water person, like, is there anything that strikes you when it comes to environmental changes that you might have seen over this time that you've been working? Oh, yeah, definitely. Uh, and a lot. And things I've seen myself with my own eyes and things also that, uh, you know, uh, my colleagues in different fields have been telling me because we have we are a big community and um, we exchange a lot of information and share. Um, personally, um, well, with the deep sea, um, I've seen the influence, for example, of plastic. Um, yeah. It's a bit sad when you see you get fish that you fish kilometers down, bring them back up, and there you find plastics in in back, for example, and you're like, uh, something is wrong there. Yeah. And um, in my career, like, you know, I, I focus most of my career on, on deep sea, but I've also um, been in Australia and then moving to um, Brisbane and Queensland. I've been focusing also a lot of my research on coral reef fish and um, going on on reef to observe the fish. And and you've seen change even like in the little time I've been studying the, the reef, um, the change that the reef has been experiencing in the last few years is just so sad and yeah. it's really crazy. Um, so in, in 2016, I was on the reef when we have the matching massive bleaching event. And I've seen with my own eyes um, coal dying. It was just, you know, when we were talking at the beginning about how you go snorkeling and you see the ocean is calm, it's beautiful, it's just amazing world. And at that time, you were going into the ocean and everything was yellow. Like everything yeah. it was just was sad. It's just so, so sad. Um, so that's, yeah, a, a lot a lot is changing. Um, also in terms of uh, density populations, um, yeah. everything, everything is in trouble. And that's, you know, one of the reasons I'm doing what I'm doing now. So I've left... 
academia uh, and my amazing research, um, yeah. which yeah. I, you know, I enjoyed for 10 years. But when you do research and when you are in academia, you very focus on your research and, you know, you have to be because you have to be an expert in your field. Yeah. And sometimes it's just clouding a little bit of your perception or it's not clouding your perception, but it's just like you just focus on what you're doing. Yeah. And then you know vision. that, you know, you know that things are happening, but, you know, you keep going because this is what you have to do. And after um, my child was born, and I think for a lot of people, this would probably resonate is when um, when you have children, you realize, wait a second, I'm not, it's not me anymore um, yeah. i brought a child to this earth and what am i going to leave to her like you know and and that's been you know the last show that has been pushing me so wait a second i need to do something i i can't just you know watch what's happening and i've you know be privileged a lot in my life um in the natural world and its wonders but also um in the damage that we are causing yeah. so i've started my journey of like shifting my path to a more active path and yeah. taking action. So it started first, you know, continuing my research and then joining um, a local group of residents in my suburb um, uh, to, to be more sustainable and, you know, take steps to, to be more eco-friendly and help the community. And then after that, you know, I also became um, a, a climate threat facilitator, which um, are, are people that are, um, doing climate education so we do workshop and um, we help the community understand what is the science behind climate change and how um, it's all connected and and how we are big parts of the problem but how we can be part of the solution as well yeah. and talking as a group about solutions and what we can do and then you know after that I was like okay that's that's good but I, I there's more I can do and you know I can't put the time I'm putting in my research into like doing something, taking action. Yeah. And so I've joined Conservation Volunteers Australia um, as part of, of my job. And I, I'm putting my skills um, and my knowledge to help people, to help yeah. all Australian take action for nature. Because we yeah. can all make a change. And it doesn't have to be big, um, but if there's power in numbers, and if we all do a little bit, um, we can make a big difference. Yeah, definitely. And, I mean, I think a lot of people get to that headway and think, like, yeah, I, I know that the science, I've got the privilege of, like, the education and the science now. How can I use my skills that I have, like you have, and go, how can I now protect this environment that I have, which is, yeah, which is so critical. And because you're doing the work with Conservation Volunteers Australia, obviously that's very centric around community volunteers. How do you believe that inspiring individuals to become a collective and be more actively involved in things like marine conservation, um, especially through those volunteering opportunities, how do you believe that that's important to helping with climate change and the solution i think it's very important because a lot of people well i think the majority of people know that the planet is in trouble a lot of people know or most people know that we are a big part of the problem and but i think most of us feel a bit hopeless we yeah. feel like um you know I might do, be doing something but if my neighbor is not doing anything or if the government is not doing anything that it has no impact 
And so there's this feeling of like hopelessness because feeling like, you know, um, what I do is not going to make a difference. And then there's um, um, the feeling of, I don't know where to start. It's just yeah. too big for me. Yeah. And so what we are trying to do with conservation volunteers Australia is like it's taking people to to take really small and simple steps but steps that are impactful so we create um events on the ground so you know we might be organizing a beach cleanup for example and like people within the community can come learn about why we're doing that with like some um Conservation Volunteers Australia a project officer that have the knowledge. Um, so there's a little bit of education and awareness. And then it's also, you know, being in a group of like-minded people that come for the same reason, you know, don't know much, but want to do something, don't know where to pass. And so, you know, you start on a day, you might be spending two hours doing a beach cleanup, like getting to know people, having a great conversation um, with others. And that's actually a very um, empowering feeling like you you do something good to a planet when you finish your volunteering hours you're like yes I, I've made a difference yes it's not big it's not just this one beach but I've met other people and they are in the same boat as me like they want to do they want to make a difference and yeah. so you know I think it's very important not to stay in your own corner because you only stay in your home and and you're by yourself and it's very easy to to shift into despair and to shift into like hopelessness and say like, well, there's nothing I can do. I'm going to wait for government industry to change yeah. Um, because yeah, it's, it's just easier. Yeah. And I think the first step is the hardest to take. Once you, you've done your first uh, volunteering experience um, and you experience this feeling of sharing with others and having a common purpose and then doing an action that is good for the planet, it's just a wonderful feeling. Um, now, we're very well aware that not everyone um, has the luxury all the time to go yeah. on a particular site for a couple of hours on the weekend and volunteers because life is busy for everyone. Uh, everyone, you know, children, family, uh, commitments, work, um, and it's not easy. So very little people can volunteer on the ground. And that's why um, at Conservation Volunteer Australia, we've... Um, are shifting towards uh, including digital experience. So we have developed application, the CVA um, community app that yeah. is um, free to download on any um, you know stores, um, Apple Store and um, Google Play. And uh, with this new app, we are taking people um, on a journey to take uh, actions in their own home. So anywhere, anytime, um, when you have, you know, few minutes, you say, okay, what can I do today? Um, you can connect on the app and, and do something. So um, we've started with uh, an applet activity uh, called Nature Blocks. Yep. That was really focused in restoring biodiversity in your own backyard, on your balcony. And we take you step by step. You don't need to know anything about gardening. You don't know, need to have any knowledge about native plants. And we take you step by step into like, you know, planting your natives in your garden or on your balcony. And then uh, a few um, habitat elements like a water dish or shelter and to encourage um, people to create native habitat um and you know and bring back um 
biodiversity in their garden in our urban area. So that's been, you know, our first start. And then in a couple of weeks, probably like, you know, one to two weeks, we are going to launching our new applied activity for our ocean, uh, which is uh, called the Citrusos um, Plastic Waste Challenge. And yeah, very excited to be uh, launching this activity for anyone that wants to make a difference in their home and for the ocean, that's the activity um, for you. And this in very short is uh, a, a home waste audit. So we we'll take you on a little journey. Uh, it's very short journey. You don't need a lot of time. Um, it's like roughly, you know, one hour of your time over a two month period. So yeah. it's, you know, you can do it uh, on a very short time. And we, we're asking you to collect uh, all your rubbish for a week. Just gather all your rubbish, exclude the compost because that's a bit too stinky. Yeah. <laughs> and at the end of the, of the seven days, we ask you to sort uh, your rubbish and that's the focus on plastic because yeah. plastic it's just a major 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 um, problem for yeah. the ocean for all the planet but definitely in the ocean everything comes back to the ocean so most of the plastic pollution um, that comes from land is going to be you know with the rain the rivers is going to travel through the rivers for our water system end up in the ocean and there's so much plastic and it's yeah. not going anywhere. Yeah. So what we are trying to do is, you know, asking people, yes, the, the plastic problem is massive. It's a multi-angle problem. It's, uh, it should involve everybody, governments, industry, um, big corporates uh, have a big role to play in that. But we also have uh, a role in our decision in what we buy in what we use, how we use things and how yeah. we, we we perceive our, our consumption. So this little activity by just auditing what you consume in one week, and and we have made it very fun and engaging. Uh, you're going to be chasing and looking for plastic monsters, plastic beasts um, <laughs> in your home, and then um, focusing on on one item, one category to to reduce over two month period. Um, and this is really an awareness tool. Uh, you know, being aware of what your consumption of plastic yeah. is. Yeah. Uh, how much do you get rid of every week? How much goes in your bin? And and yes, I mean, there's a lot of focus on recycling. Um, and recycling is, is great. It's definitely a tool, but it's only a tool um, because very little 12% of plastic we throw away is being recycled. So imagine where the rest is going, it's going to landfill and a lot of it is going to end up in the ocean as well. Yeah. So I think people, what we need to focus on is really reducing our, our consumption of, of plastic. Yeah. So going back to the source, why we are calling it the C2 source challenge, going back to the source of our own home and identify what and find ways that we can um, reduce. And again, Everybody has his own pace and his own capabilities. Uh, you know, just focus on one item. Uh, yeah. And I mean, by far, I'm not perfect with my plastic consumption. Yeah. It is very hard to change. Um, we are busy in life and yeah, it's always moving so fast and we always go for convenience. Yeah, um, definitely. Yeah. But when you're aware of it, I know that everything I do, even if I do consume plastic, uh, I always feel like, okay, is there a better way? Can I do it different? When I'm in the shop, it's like, you know, you have a choice between two packs of pasta. There's the one that is uh, um, wrapped in plastic and the one that is in a cardboard box. And it's like, well, you know, 
Yeah. And then I will maybe I choose the one in a cardboard box. It's just yeah. faster. Yeah. This, this can be recycled better. Yeah. Yep. I think you put that really perfectly um, talking about how a lot of people do feel that like overwhelming um, sense of like just not being able to do anything like especially when it comes to climate change it's just straight away it's like what do I do as this one sole individual person where there's such a big role of people who have like much bigger decision making power but you saying starting small and doing small steps here and there is really a perfect way to even just increase your knowledge and your awareness of the things that we're talking about consumption with plastics or even just being aware that you're the plastic remains in in the cycle the whole way around. Like it doesn't break down easily. World it doesn't as- break down at all. Yeah, exactly. So it doesn't disappear. Like what <laughs> it's people always think, there. Yeah, it's always there. It will always be there. It doesn't biodegrade. So yeah, it will break down in smaller and smaller pieces. And then at some stage, we can't see it with our yeah. own eyes. Yeah, people think, oh yeah, it's not there anymore. But you know, it is there. It is there. It's yeah. not going to disappear. It will always yeah. be there. Yeah. So all the plastic that we ever made ever consumed is still, still on the planet yep. and we're yep. just producing more and more i know so, and but- it, that's yeah that can be it's like super overwhelming for people but the fact that you're creating these small steps and it, just educating people too like i think a lot of people especially as consumers sometimes we just don't have that education and like that's not I mean, that's not our fault, but it's the fault. Like we then have a responsibility if we can access it to learn. So I think that's really important. And like, that's a really powerful thing that you guys are allowing people to gain that access in a way that's more comfortable at your home. You can take your own time doing it. It doesn't have to be an overwhelming experience, which is really important. Um, And also just the way that you are working at the moment with um, World Ocean Day. World Ocean Day and the World Ocean Day down under. And that's also focusing on rivers and estuaries and the ocean is really important. Those three environments are all interconnected. And even if you think that like you're so far inland, things still end up in the ocean, which is super important for people to realize is that it's very interconnected, our ecosystem. And like you would know this and the fact that like you see plastic at the deepest points in the ocean is just really startling and it's it's not immune to to anything really so it, it's actually yeah it's crazy and you and it's a story that you hear all the time uh, one, one thing you know when you mentioned that people feel overwhelmed and we, they don't have any power and i think that's where we need to have a change a little bit in perspective is we do have power and yep. the power is in number yeah like if we all get together and we do small actions together then the power that we have is is huge if we all you know stop buying uh, a specific product because it's like this is wrapped in plastic it's just it's too bad i'm not going to buy it if we are all stopping buying it what is it going to happen yeah they will stop producing Yeah. yeah and that's it so we don't have to wait for um you know supermarkets to to ban a certain item we don't have to wait for government to make policies about, you know, no plastic packaging. We we can have, uh, we have a lot of power in in our choice in what we buy, and and in the, the collective power is yeah. massive, and that's also what we are trying to do with this C two source plastic waste challenge at home. Is we want people to report their plastic consumption, not to shame them 
Like we are all on the same page. We are all consuming the same thing. It's just, we buy things at the supermarkets and that's yeah. just how it is yeah. because, you know, not everybody has a luxury to travel, you know, uh, 30 kilometers to go to uh, a health shop that has a zero package. Yeah. Just yeah. It's not accessible for everyone, but by everybody, um, you know, recording their consumption of plastic, and then us getting the data, because we will be collecting this data very, very um, thoroughly, um, then we will have a lot of power because we will be able to tell, um, you know, industries, governments, supermarkets, look, what all Australians struggling with is like food wrappers, for example. Like this is the main plastic uh, issue that we find in Australian yeah. beans. Like, and we have the data to back that up. So let's do something about it. Yeah. So we have a lot of power yeah. and i think you know if everybody does the challenge we will get uh, a phenomenal amount of data um to back up our claim and to have you know be able to move the needle a little bit yeah and then also you know making a difference and focusing on one item you can reduce it's going to be a win for the ocean even if it's the one item it's one less plastic item that you can you know that is not ending up in the ocean and everybody i've talked to is always there's power in numbers and creating that collective change is so important so definitely if we can all get on board and help out this cause it would yeah give you so much data and so much power to yeah make make some change which would be incredible um and with yeah with your upcoming initiatives and events happening um throughout the whole world ocean day down under you guys can check out through the app and even like on your online um, websites you can yeah. see there's events happening in your area too there's a lot of events we have uh, over the well the next three months um in february um march april um we have over 75 um, events happening um, around the country um, where and anyone, it's free, um, everyone can, can participate. Um, so you can um, check where these events are happening uh, two ways, so through our website and through the app. Uh, with the app, um, you're able to enter your location and that gives you um, which event are happening close to you in a 100 kilometer radius. Yeah. So it's the easiest way to, to see what's happening close to you. Now, um, you know, Australia is massive um, <laughs> and we can't have events everywhere. So we're yeah. very sorry for the people that, you know, will be going on the app and can't see an event happening um, in their locality. Um, but, um, you know, these actions they can take at home with our applied activities. And if no um, in-person events are happening with Conservation Volunteers Australia, there are also many other groups, um, yeah. organizations that organize a volunteering event as well that people can join. Being a part of a group is such a great way to just like, as you it said, is. meet like-minded people, especially if you are feeling like that kind of, we talk about like that climate doom, climate change doom. Yes. It's just important to be talking about that with other people and voicing how you're feeling and knowing that other people are in that same position and then working out how you can go about helping with a solution or just supporting each other in yeah creating that collective change is a massive way that you can ease your own anxiety towards it and also yeah help out the actual cause which is super important too so the groups are Definitely. amazing yeah if you the best way to to counteract any anxiety and you know stress or and despair and hopelessness is to talk about it yeah, yeah. talk with people and and sometimes it can be um, 
it can be hard within a family you can have different views you know um yeah and that's why it's important to find you find a group that resonates with you and can support you um so definitely like i would i can't recommend enough um joining local group um, where you can meet people with who you can share um, your ideas your hopes your your fear and working together um an hour a week even if you know yeah. we don't have time an hour in a month it's 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 a start well i've really enjoyed talking to you today and learning a bit about your past academic research and also the work that you're doing with conservation volunteers australia there's definitely some really cool and exciting events on the cards for you guys and everybody should keep a lookout and head to their website or their app and just check out what they've got available. If there's nothing in your area, as you said, there's things that you can do at home or there's other groups that you can look for too. But yeah, getting stuck into it. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. No, thank you very much for your time and for listening. It was great to share my experience. Yeah. And um, yeah, we, um, you know, I'm always happy um, to, to be contacted by people and, uh, you know, my CVA door is open and if people want to reach out and have questions, um, you know, they should feel free to contact me uh, for Conservation Volunteers Australia and I will be very happy to have a chat. Amazing. Thank you so much. Like always, everybody, don't forget to check the show notes out where I'll leave any important links that were mentioned in this episode today. And you can check out Conservation Volunteers Australia and their World Ocean Day Down Under campaign. Um, If you have something that you want to amplify on this platform, then head to my Instagram or hit up my email and let me know. I'm always keen to hear from you. I'm always keen to have a chat and um, keep diving in. I'll see you guys next time.